0: I want to reiterate to the Props Tops audience, we do not talk about these beforehand. And we do not butt heads a lot. Giants under is my third pick. Oh my goodness. I just said, oh How goodness. how could I be expected? More than 20, <laughs> more than 20 wins less. They're saying, Connor, you have to pound this over. And I'm saying, I'm not gonna do what you tell me, Vegas.
1: Welcome to Props and Hops, a betting and beer podcast powered by Dimers.com. I'm your host, Matt Landis, and this week's episode is my 17th annual Major League Baseball Predictions reveal with Connor Riley. In fact, it's our second straight year doing the Baseball prediction show in podcast form. We run by our picks division by division and also talk postseason predictions along with our picks for MVP and Cy Young Award winners. And putting the hops in props and hops, we also put a beer bet on the line when it comes to our favorite regular season win total wagers. For a little bit of background, Connor was my college roommate, as well as the officiant at my wedding with Mrs. Props and Hops, and as you're about to hear, he's also an extremely well-versed sports fan and an all-around joy. One housekeeping note before we cut to the conversation, if you live in an area where wagering is legal and want to kill two birds with one stone, Go ahead and sign up for a sportsbook via any of the links at the bottom of the Props and Hops landing page on dimers.com. That way you can get down on some edges as opening day approaches, and also support this show along the way, you can find a link to that landing page in these show notes. And now, it's almost time to play ball, enjoy the 2022 Major League Baseball Prediction Show with Connor Riley. Connor Riley wasn't sure when we'd be able to have this conversation in 2022 but the lockout has been lifted opening day in the sights welcome back to props and hops
0: Matt it's been a long time doing this I don't think I've ever been as happy and excited as I am this year with so much uncertainty to be here in the month of March knowing there's gonna be baseball season I could not be more excited thank you so much for having me dude
1: Yeah, I got a lot of good stuff to get to, but first things first, weaving in the props from the outset here, what are you drinking today?
0: Today I got something very special. Um, I'm not sure if it'll resonate too much with the Prop Snaps audience, but March 16th, 316 is Stone Cold Steve Austin Day Mm. in wrestling. So I got some El Segundo Brewing Company, Steve Austin's Broken Skull IPA. I got these on March 16th. I had to take a little break as the St. Patrick's Day weekend and my my forefathers' (laughs) drinks took over uh, Irish Stouts. But happy to crack a few of these open today. It's an IPA, 6.7% from El Segundo Brewing Company. Looking forward to it.
1: You are in for a treat if you haven't had that yet. El Segundo is in my backyard here in L.A. And yeah, with Broken School, they do so many things right. But that is definitely one of the better IPAs that you can find in just an absolute oasis for craft beer out here. So well played getting that in hand in new york and i will go back to the well i believe this was my selection last year and i can't go against it with the name baseball
0: oh, of sports lager
1: by highland park brewery within eyeshot of dodger stadium really cool can art if anybody wants to check it out i know we're recording this on video mm-hmm. but uh maybe i'll post a clip of this or, or a link to the beer on untapped i think good can art for both of us here with the baseball theme the wrestling totally welcomed This one, a little bit lighter. I am three hours behind as we record this more mid-afternoon my time on Tuesday, the 22nd. So I'll still have my wits about me to finish up the day once we wrap this up. Yeah, Sports Lager, it is 5% ABV. It's just the kind of beer that you'd want to have, you know, at the ballpark, in the arena. I would say a slightly elevated take on the macro lagers that are more widely available in those venues not too much to describe in the way of tasting notes, just an easy, mindless crusher. And for this kind of conversation, I'd say the perfect companion. So, Connor, on that note. Beautiful. Cheers, man. Cheers. Great to be back. Ah, it is great to have you back. All right. And I thought as we set the stage for our 2022 predictions, we could do a retreat to move forward, to borrow a phrase from 30 Rock, and do a rapid-fire rundown on last year's results. So I went back and listened to our conversation last year, and when we picked divisions, both of us had the Braves, well played on your part, to go against your favorite team, the Mets, even though I know that was a painful decision. It was the correct one. You also nailed the Brewers and the White Sox, so both central division champs. I called the Astros to win the AL West. Very sadly, your Angels pick did not come to fruition, but I appreciated the spirit. And then I think Tampa Bay, the other noteworthy division champ, neither of us picked them, but they became our tiebreaker team for our regular season win total beer bet. Fortunately, they got home to the over, so that went well for me. And when we look at the postseason, our World Series picks, you had the Padres over the Yankees. I had the Dodgers over the Yankees. Not much to write home about for either of us there. I would say you get a slight edge with the division winners having nailed not just the Braves, but again, both central champs. And I'll take perhaps just a slight edge with our World Series picks since the Dodgers made the playoffs and the Padres didn't. But hopefully we can do better on that front this season. Any thoughts looking back at our division and postseason picks from 2021?
0: Oh boy, do I have thoughts. I, I went through a lot of sleepless nights this offseason knowing that the one time in 17 years I don't pick the Mets to win the division, the Braves go on to make me correct and then win the World Series to really just stick my face in it. Uh, so that felt terrible. I Again, I said fate, the Rays, 100 wins, easy. <laughs> um i said hammer i said hammer the kansas city royals i believe and that's what all their opponents did they hammered the royals and uh awful season for them you know i think they snuck the over in but needless to say if i had more luck you know i would i would have followed my drink from last year i would have drank the same thing if i had a little better picks hoping to change the luck a little bit this time and uh feeling much better this year so uh much much better
1: If you've got an IPA from El Segundo, then I don't think it's going to steer you wrong. And we also had some division picks we can run through last year. Excuse me, some individual awards picks we can run through from last year. Looking at the MVP market in the National League, you went with Christian Yelich. I went with Corey Seager. Bryce Harper ended up taking home the hardware. And ironically, neither of our picks got in a full season. I guess we could have said the writing was on the wall knowing both of those guys' injury histories. I might claim the slightest of edges just because Seager did post triple the war compared to Yellich in 20 fewer games. But again, I think we can do better this year. And the AL, you did really well last year. Almost pulled it out with that great call on Vlad Jr. I went with Trout. Of course, Otani won the award. Clear edge to you in this one. Again, great call. Not just calling a long shot at the time. I believe Vlad Jr. was 30-1 to one or more at the time you made that prediction. But you said the reason you weren't picking a guy like Trout was because he had some teammates who made for good MVP candidates. So if people could read between the lines a little bit, I think they could see that you were onto something when it came to AL MVP last season.
0: You know, and with the MVPs, I'll take some luck as well because I said the Brewers to win the division. But I think I really hinged that on Yelich being a superstar. So for the Brewers to still take that home, I'll, I'll take that that kind of switcheroo there, and with the AL, oh boy. it's It makes for a long season to have a long shot ticket and just hear the news reports coming out, the Otani buzz, and knowing it's justified, but still knowing that in a whole bunch of other seasons, Vlad takes that MVP home probably easily. So tough sledding there, but hey, that's what makes it fun. Let's rebound this year.
1: Yeah, an MVP caliber season for Vlad Jr., if nothing else. And I'll bridge that to our Cy Young picks. I would say that Jacob deGrom, when he was on the mound, certainly delivered a Cy Young caliber performance. He was your pick. I went with Max Scherzer. Corbin Burns ended up winning the award. I think we can maybe call it a bit of a push here. Scherzer finished third in voting and deGrom finished ninth. But deGrom, your pick, was looking perhaps like an MVP candidate until injuries derailed his season. Um, so nothing, you know, too wrong with either picks, I would say, but Corbin Burns really stepped it up and took home that award. And the AL, you went out on a bit of a limb going with Zach Grinke. I didn't stick my neck out as much to Garrett Cole. The winner was Robbie Ray. I'll take a slight edge there, but not too much credit. I mean, Cole was one of the odds-on favorites. He finished second. Grinke didn't get a vote, but that's what happens sometimes. You go out on a limb, and I still think, okay, Nothing to show for the Grinke pick, but a lot of credit due for the Vlad Jr. MVP pick. And looking at those two markets, between the two of us, we nailed the runners-up for AL MVP and Cy Young last year. Hopefully we can maybe nail one or two winners this time around.
0: Let's do it. I got one way to go, but up in the, uh, the Cy Young for the AL, for sure. Um, but yeah, I'll look back. I'm sure Robbie Ray and Zach Grinke were right around the same odds. So maybe it wasn't crazy taking the long shot, but um, yeah, not one vote for Grinke, so let's, um, let's build off that.
1: Yes, indeed. And the, the last thing that I want to note as we sip on our beers recording this conversation, our beer bet from last year, regular season wins. You had Tampa under 86 and a half. I took them over 86 and a half. You touched on it earlier. They won 100 games. And I just took that as a lot of validation for analytics. You know, Blake Snell and the way the 2020 World Series ended be damned. Um, maybe that's me reading too much into it because that's the way I like to look at things. Any takeaways from your standpoint on the Rays really being that polarizing pick last time around?
0: I, you know, I'm a fool. I'm a fool. And uh, they have proven time and time again that they're playing chess. Everyone else playing checkers. I was looking at roster names. I was looking at, you know, the Yankees have stars. The Rays don't. Let's not make rock scientists out of this. It's, it's just going to be that. And they find a way. Um, they're going to fool me again this year. I just know it. But the Rays find a way. And uh, I'll, I'll learn one of these years.
1: Well, you're not too much of a fool because you did have the Royals over seventy three and a half they scraped by with seventy four wins and you didn't need uh you know a close call with the Brewers. you took them over eighty three and a half and they coasted home on that one with ninety five wins in addition to Tampa Bay over, I took a loss on Oakland by the hook over eighty six and a half they landed on eighty six wins but the Cardinals helped to make up for that also over eighty six and a half wins. They ended up at ninety and my big takeaway here. The value of line shopping. I know I talk about it in a lot of maybe more serious betting-focused forums on this podcast. But again, Connor, with the Royals last year, you first quoted them at 74.5. And as we're talking, we did a little bit of research, found a 73.5, made that the official number. It lands 74. So all about getting the best number you can get. Again, the A's losing by the hook. So I think a friendly reminder to everybody, this is a great time of year to do some line shopping if you're looking at individual awards or regular season one total numbers.
0: Absolutely. It's a great time to go shopping for the best number. It's also a great time to completely understand and process the books are so good at this. So do whatever you can. If it looks too good to be true, chances are it might be they are very good at what they do and just try to get the very, very best number you can across the board.
1: And I'll give a lot of credit, especially as we hit a more mature market as opening day approaches, the books being good at this, but really adjusting to what some of the sharpest bettors in the market are telling them what the information behind some of the bets that we'll see in the coming weeks as opening day approaches. So all in all, our regular season win totals last year, we each went two and one. Again, that Tampa Bay tiebreaker went my way. And I'm glad it did because my prize was a six pack of Imperial Sunshine by Blue Point Brewing Company a really nice blonde ale with orange peel. And you paid up early, in fact, when I was in New Jersey for Bet Bash in August. So we were able to enjoy some of that together. I got to say, you are not kidding. That sneaky 9.6% ABV with something that light and flavorful really left a lasting impression.
0: One of my favorite beers on earth. You, you got to be in for a night if you're going to have it. There's no, no casual, unless you're going to have about four ounces. There's no casual night with that, but shit goes down so smooth and uh, really makes for a great summer beer. And I'm glad I, w- I was humbled to get you your your much-deserved prize, but I'm glad we could enjoy it together in Jersey for sure.
1: Yeah, that was the highlight. Whether I was paying you or you were paying me to enjoy together was definitely one of the best experiences from a beer-drinking standpoint during the 2021 baseball season. And let's look ahead to maybe something similar in our future for 2022. Let's start with our 2022 predictions going division by division. Last year, we started in my neck of the woods with the AL West, maybe to try to reverse fortunes for both of our teams. Let's turn the tables, starting in your neck of the woods, the NL East. What's your rundown looking like for that division this year?
0: It's a return to normalcy for the Connor Riley NL East projections. Um, I got the Mets on top. Uh, it hinges on DeGrom. You're not loving the stories right now coming out of it, the uncertainty. You know, you want to see the season's about to start. DeGrom will be on the mound opening day and all that. We're not seeing that quite now. It's going to hinge on that. But obviously, adding Scherzer was an enormous, enormous transaction for them. They're banking on a Lindor bounce-back season to go along with Alonzo, McNeil, the newcomers, Starling Marte, Marcana. It's a really solid lineup, and with DeGrom there, one of the best rotations in the major leagues, I'm very comfortable. And I love how the Mets and Braves are still neck and neck as we speak for the division. I'd much rather have that than the Mets minus 200 and everyone else just, you know, in contention because we all know we've been there before. We've been there before with the Mets' runaway favorites in March, and we all know how it goes. So I love how... The Braves are right there with them. There's no ego going into it. I have the Mets one and leading into that, the Braves two, in the playoffs. We'll talk about the expanded format in a little bit, but Braves in the playoffs by see the Mets taking this division.
1: So one quick note there. You mentioned we've been there before when the Mets are a big favorite. We know how that works out. And while the division is neck and neck to your point, I also feel like we've been here before in the sense that the Mets consensus odds of winning the World Series right about 11 to one, certainly a long shot, but not nearly as much of a long shot as most other teams in the league. In fact, as I check from book to book, the Dodgers, the only team in Major League Baseball with better odds than the Mets, if we look at it across the board. So again, it feels like we've been here before at the Mets last year. I was wondering if it was going to be their year finally. So with those kinds of World Series odds in mind at 11 to one, a relatively short price, do you find yourself, suppressing hope is a bit of emotional protection are you really embracing it as hope springs eternal with opening day just knocking on the door
0: well you know hope seems to spring eternal extra this year because of the new owner i think some of these odds might be baked in steve cohen looks like he's going to do whatever this um luxury tax whatever you want to call it the the threshold does not seem to matter at all to him so if they're midway through the year and they're not looking like the juggernaut that he thinks they ought to be, I'm not ruling out any kind of you know deadline, additional spending. I think he is completely committed to giving this fan base their first championship since 1986. And uh, he's going to do whatever it takes. I think that's baked into the odds a little bit that this owner is not following the rules of everybody else in terms of what is the limit for spending.
1: Man, somebody get that guy in a room with Artie Moreno, please, while Trout <laughs> and Otani are still doing their thing but we'll save the AOS for later. What's your rundown on the rest of the National League East?
0: For sure, yeah. Quickly, the Braves in sec- second. Olsen was a fantastic move and a very, very team-friendly contract they signed him to. I don't know how the Braves do that over and over again. Uh, not an easy on their lineup. Nothing's changed there. Every single hitter is solid. Um, the pitching staff for the Braves uh, is a little concerning. Max Freed is legitimate, but Soroka can't seem to quite – be healthy. Charlie Morton, you know, we'll see. He's kind of a sleeper in fantasy, but just because of the pitching, I had the Braves in second followed by the Phillies led by the MVP, Bryce Harper. I love the Castellanos signing. And uh, Zach Wheeler might heartbreakingly be one of the top five pitchers in all of baseball. Now, as the Mets let him go to the division arrival, uh, along with uh, Aaron Nola, former great rotation, Phillies, three Marlins in fourth, sneaky, good pitching as well. As long as they don't get dumped off with Alcantara and nationals, comfortably in fifth. And I think Juan Soto is going to test the age old. Can an MVP be from a seller dweller like the Nationals?
1: Yeah, good point. I remember when Trout was on some non cellar dwelling Angels teams, but they were non-playoff teams when Miguel Cabrera and the Tigers would squeak in out of the AL Central. And that seemed to be swaying MVP boats Cabrera's way. The voting consensus, I think, has shifted in recent years. But to your point, this isn't Washington – in all likelihood, a borderline playoff team. This is probably a last place team. So we'll see, you know, just how far that narrative has come when it comes to the war that Juan Soto is likely to post. I'm not going to add too much to your thoughts on the division. I think you recapped it really well. I only have one discrepancy, and unfortunately, that's at the top. I do still have both teams getting into the playoffs. I give a slight nod to the Braves. Maybe it's just the you know recent history, and, and this could be me falling prey to a narrative about what we've seen in the past versus what might be more predictive moving forward. But I just feel like every time people are too bullish on the Mets, we know how that works out. To your point, the division's neck and neck. So people might not be too bullish, given that they added Scherzer and have some heavy weights elsewhere on the roster. But after what the Braves did last year, I think they have a really solid foundation in place the way they went on that run without Acuna, by the way. Um, teaser, he is going to come up again at some point in this conversation Ooh. from my end. But I, I just like the Braves by a hair to squeak out the NL East over the Mets, followed up by the Phillies, Marlins, and Nationals. So we'll leave it at that for the NL East. How about your thoughts this year, Connor, on the NL Central?
0: NL Central, I'm not going to depart from they did very well for me last year. I'm seeing Milwaukee. It's it's a little little bit chalk here, but I'm seeing the Brewers um, with, as we said, Yelich, Lorenzo Cain. They signed Andrew McCutcheon, who you know is a veteran who could stabilize the lineup. They had the reigning Cy Young winner with Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff in the rotation. You know, I love to go against the chalk whenever I can in these things. It's just a solid across-the-board team I'm not quite seeing in the rest of the division. So I had the Brewers once again uh, claiming the top spot, followed by the Cardinals uh, in second place, just mashers across the whole lineup. Unbelievable infield. Um, The pitching Wainwright had a fantastic year last year. He has to be all that and more because he is really um, not the only legitimate starter on the team, but really the only one who you could really uh, plant your flag and say he's going to go to the mountains each time out and really give them quality innings. Uh, I get a little wonky after that. Uh, This one's for my, my wonderful nephew, Brendan, who's the biggest Pittsburgh Pirate fan. He's seven years old, loves the Pirates. The Pirate Parrot is his favorite mascot ever. He sends them letters. So the Pirates, Brendan, I'm happy to say, are going to give you a big season, finish in third place, and shock a lot of people. Uh, they have two really young talents, Keith Ryan Hayes and Brian Reynolds, to lead the lineup. Um, sleeper year. Not going to go much beyond that because uh, they're obviously considered, you know, the cellar dwellers in this one. I have the Pirates third, Cubs fourth, as Marcus Stroman is certainly not a one or a two for that matter, but he's going to be the one for Chicago. And the Reds in last place as they start a complete rebuild as Vado. We'll probably be out the door this or next year.
1: Well, if we only had a discrepancy at the top of the NL East, it would flip and be at the bottom of the NL Central. I'm in lockstep with you on the Brewers at Cardinals 1 and 2. I have the Reds, Cubs, and Pirates rounding things out. I hope you're right for the sake of your nephew. And if nothing else, if I'm right and the Pirates finish in fifth place, at least if the Parrot can write back to your <laughs> nephew, then that could go a long way and uh, maybe soaking up some tears over the course of potentially another long season in Pittsburgh
0: absolutely you know it was a long year last year but he, he stuck with them they they got some young talent again it's not not the biggest lock in the world but in a division where you know the bottom three teams really i don't think much separates them you know so it's 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 nice to pick a little, little bit of wonk here
1: yeah absolutely well how about the no west i think we have some pretty clear chalk at the top there but anything getting wonky for you when you run down that division
0: i wish i could be so bold you know i have my notes here dodgers boring I know it is. People don't come to props and hops for the boring stuff. I know, but I'm going to take the Dodgers (laughs) one. Um, But at least, you know, it's not completely chalky because somehow, some way, they did not win this division last year. So technically, we're not picking a repeat of any kind. uh, But obviously... 106
1: wins didn't get it done. Yeah,
0: correct. Somehow, some way, 106 didn't get it done. But adding Freeman, you know, they lost some key pieces, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit. But across the board, especially with this terrible injury to Tatis Jr. on the Padres, I would have loved to see them go neck and neck all season long. The Padres going to kind of try to hold the fort down until Tatis gets back. I do have them finishing in second. Uh, I think the manager, Bob Melvin's going to be a great presence in that, in that dugout as they try to just really erase all of last year. Whatever happened in the second half of last year has to be outside the memory as soon as possible. Uh, but they got a solid lineup. Machado, Luke Voigt, they assign. Uh, Trent Grisham, as, as uh, Tatis recovers, I think they'll be okay in second place as I see Technically, it's a big fall for the Giants going to third place, but who saw that coming last year? So I think the Giants are comfortably there in third. If they do it again, credit to them as far as winning over 100 games. But I think this year they won't be surprising anybody from start to finish. So I had them in third, followed by the Colorado Rockies and the Diamondbacks in a distant fifth.
1: We are in lockstep there. One through five, don't have too much to add. I think you summed it up well. You have done much more research than I when it comes to some of these transactions. Who's on what teams these days? So I think you put it well, and we can move on to the American League. Let's start back east again. What do you have for us in the juggernaut that is, the AL East?
0: The juggernaut of the AL East is where I am happy to go off the board a little bit here, especially with their most recent signings. I am taking the Boston Red Sox to finish at the top of the division, the pitchers, I'm going to start with the bad. The pitchers are horribly unreliable. Um, They're big names when you see Chris Sale, Nathan Uvaldi, James Paxton. They've had their heyday of wonderful years, but they have to stay healthy, which is a big ask. But I am happy to take what I am seeing as the fourth, you know, best, fourth biggest odds in the division at plus 550 I'm seeing right now. That could change, but I'm happy to take that chance in this division. As you said, one through four, I think, are remarkably close. I will take the Red Sox and their ridiculous lineup. Devers, Bolgars, now Trevor Story, even uh, J.D. Martinez hanging out in the outfield. They got plenty, plenty of hitters, and I think it's going to be a magical year in Boston. This year, I had them followed up by Toronto, who everyone seems to love this year. I would like to see their pitchers. Um, I wouldn't say they faced big situations before. You know, Ryu is a Cy Young winner, but Ryu, Berrios, and Gaussman – I can't say they've been on the big stage before, so I'd love to see them prove something before I pick them to win this juggernaut division. Then the Yankees in third place, a great lineup, but teams, especially here in New York, just listen to sports radio, people are convinced. The league has figured out how to pitch to this lineup where there's names everywhere, but somehow they struggle to score runs. Uh, take for that what you will. Four, I never learn. Tampa Bay race, I never, ever, ever learn. And I'll go down the ship at least. And of course, in fifth, the Baltimore Orioles.
1: The Rays are going to be that team once again for us this year where the rubber meets the road because I have them winning the AL East, followed up by Toronto, then the Yankees, then the Red Sox, with Baltimore bringing up the rear. But to your point, one through four, really tight, so it could go in just about any permutation between those four teams. Going to be interesting, though, you having the Red Sox in first and Tampa in fourth, myself having Tampa in first and Boston in fourth, and then uh, Toronto, New York, second and third for both of us. So I think the expanded playoff format, if any division benefits from it, probably going to be this AL East with a chance to get in more than a couple of these very good teams. What do you got for us in the AL Central?
0: AL Central, again, after going off the board a little bit with Boston, we're back to the chalk with the White Sox. I went for the big shot last year, trying to get the Kansas City Royal, you know, seeing Kansas City might scare them this year you know, La Russa worked. It, it worked out. The stars aligned. The, the hitters were solid. They have a solid rotation as well with Giolito, Lance Lynn. They're a complete team. And I don't see anyone this, in this division quite on their level. So I will take the White Sox to win it rather comfortably. Second, I did not like this team at all last year, but I like what the Twins have done this offseason. It's a fascinating team. They spent some big money uh, bringing in Correa. Buxton is a Blossoming superstar, Viera stays in the field. So I will take them to finish in second. Sonny Gray and Dylan Bundy will need to be huge for them in the rotation. But I'll take Minnesota two, followed by the – I don't want to get this wrong – the Cleveland Guardians. <laughs> the Cleveland Guardians in third. You know, Jose Ramirez and Shane Bieber could very well be the best hitter-pitcher combo in the entire American League. But I don't see much around them. I had them finishing in third. Uh, one Detroit. question is as, yeah, as far
1: as the best hitter and pitcher combo in the American league, how do Ramirez and Bieber stack up to, let's say Otani and Otani?
0: Oh, singular Otani. Wow. Yeah. It's like, it's like a handicap match there. That, that, that would be tough. Yeah. So <laughs> that is true. And you know, the MVP trophy says a lot about that. I think I picked Jose Ramirez to win the MP last year. So Otani really, really showed me on that one. Um, <laughs> so after the guardians, I have Detroit and Kansas city. I've gone from all in on Kansas city to, you know, As far as I'm concerned, if for Salvador Perez to hit 9 billion home runs and then still not to quite break through in any way, he's only going to go down from there. I think KC is going to face another rebuilding year.
1: Yep, pretty similar thoughts on this division as well. We do deviate. uh, In just one slight spot in the middle there, I have flip-flopped the Tigers to come in third and Cleveland, the Guardians, as you said, to come in fourth. Maybe this will change. My favorite movie is Major League. I'm going to be watching that once, if not multiple times, before opening day arrives And uh, maybe if I have, you know, one or two cans of baseball in me and and add a bit more as that movie gets going, I might edge the Guardians now versus the Indians in the movie, Uh, just up a peg over the Tigers. Otherwise, yeah, Chicago and Minnesota at the top, Kansas City at the bottom. I think Minnesota was my first place pick in this division last year. Didn't come close, but I think they could be, you know, if San Francisco is in line for some negative regression, I think the Twins might be one of the stronger positive regression candidates looking ahead to 2022.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting trade they made with the Yankees. Um, It didn't make Yankee fans here in New York happy whatsoever, bringing in Donaldson's enormous contract and not signing or trading for anyone else. So if the Yankees are that upset about it, maybe the Twins should be happy about it as they get Gary Sanchez and Gio Urshela. It's a very fascinating team in
1: Minnesota. We'll we'll see how they do. One division to go, Connor. This one, you captured my heart with your pick last year in the AL West. What are you forecasting for the AL West in 2022?
0: I forecast... uh, Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Um, I will take the Astros to win this division. Uh, it may come down to Verlander coming back strong in terms of, you know, the pitching staff goes. But Bregman's still there. Tucker's still there. Alvarez's still there. The lineup is stacked. They, I think they proved a lot of things last year to the doubters, to the haters. And I just see no one in this division that's ready to quite overtake them quite yet.
1: Yeah, I have a question for you on the Astros because as you break that down, you talk about a lesson learned from last year and yet in a sense, you're doubling down on Tampa Bay and that's not necessarily a logical inconsistency because it's very possible the Rays could finish fourth in a very competitive division and Houston could win this one. But is there anything you see between the two teams where you say, okay, with the Astros last year, I learned my lesson and with Tampa Bay being a little bit more inclined to fade them once again?
0: You know, I guess it's just the teams surrounding them. I think mm-hmm. with the angels and my, my logic from last Careful. year was just, yeah, of course, of course, <laughs> my logic from last year is I think Otani is ready to shine. Trout is ready to, you know, prove he's the best player. Randon is there to solidify the two of them. You know, let's take the shot and, and uh, hope for the moon and for Otani to be so good. And then injuries to bring them down as the Astros just kind of did exactly what they were supposed to do. You know, it's it just nothing too much has changed in that regard. And with the race, it's just, more so the teams around them, where you know, I probably picked the Rays to win this division, no problem, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, with the teams in the American League East, I I, I just think with the star power there, I, I will I will fall on that sword.
1: Fair enough. Well, you got Houston at the top of the AL West. What's your rundown for the rest of that division?
0: It's tough to evaluate the rest of this division. It really is. I took a bit a little bit of a shot here. My my fun playoff pick at plus six fifty to make the playoffs at all. Texas Rangers spending to their heart's content. Uh, very hard to evaluate because they've not played together yet. But as far as newcomers go, uh, all the talent in the lineup, Seager coming in, and Simeon coming in, um, it should be really, really fun to watch them. And my um, Angels, you know, why not? Just like the Angels from last year, why not for the uh, Rangers this year? Followed by the Angels. If it goes right, it'll go very right for uh, for LA Angels. But there's too much distrust for me. And uh, with injuries already you haunting them. Yeah, injuries already haunting them. And let me tell you, Adding Noah Syndergaard to already some bad juju for injuries. You know, I'm hoping the best for him, but we will see what happens. I have the Angels in third, but would not be surprised at all if they're not going to of the playoffs. Followed by the Mariners, who had a dream season last year. Oh, my goodness, did they surprise a lot of people. I see them kind of falling back to earth this year, as well as the athletics, whatever's left of the athletics, finishing very, 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 very far in fifth.
1: Yeah, as smart as the Azer run, I kind of lumped them in the same category as Tampa Bay a lot of the time, but this seems as clear as ever that they're going through a bit of a fire sale. So if there is a year where they don't, you know, exceed modest expectations, this could be it. So a lot like you said, the AL East one through four really competitive. I think the AL West two through five, tough to find that clear separation. I'm with you on the Astros winning the division. And maybe I'm being the overly hopeful optimist right now because I have the Angels coming in second place. And from a position player standpoint, I am trying to be well aware, Rendon feels like the new Albert Pujols in terms of that albatross of a contract, anchoring a corner infield position. Angels, you know, again, paying a player who did great things for a National League team who hasn't really done a lot for them yet. Rendon a good bit younger than Pujols was before the wheels totally fell off. So I hope he can turn things around. But really, I think from the lineup, you're just looking for a full season from Trout for the first time in a while and just another stellar campaign from Otani to keep things afloat. And I like Otani as a bridge guy from the lineup to the rotation, because last year when we talked about the Angels, my biggest complaint, perhaps of our whole conversation, was Artie Moreno's reluctance to invest in starting pitching. And clearly, Connor, he heard me, because he has now acquired Noah Syndergaard for the price of roughly $1 million per inning that he will pitch in an Angels (laughs) uniform.
0: It was surprising. You know, you heard everywhere... As last season ended okay, Syndergaard got back. He pitched a couple of innings in late September, got everyone excited. He said all the right things in terms of signing with them. Um, And I don't think it was Syndergaard backstabbing the Mets. I just think there was a disconnect there, and it was surprising to see. It was shocking to see. Uh, It was disappointing to see. But I think the Mets are in a great place. And hopefully, you know, there's no bitterness whatsoever. He was a a good Met. He had an unbelievable job on the World Series team in 2015. Nothing but good vibes for Syndergaard. Wishing him all the best.
1: Yeah, if he can do anything for the Angels rotation, that would be a nice lift. It's, it's hard not to think they overpaid, but I want to try to defer judgment. We often don't know about these things with any real degree of confidence until we see it play out between the lines. And it has been reassuring lately, some more stealth moves, but the Angels re-signing Rice Iglesias to anchor the back end of the bullpen. And then more recently, adding guys like Aaron Luke, Archie Bradley, Ryan Tapera, not really household names, but I think some stabilizing forces in a bullpen that has just been all kinds of leaky in recent years. If they can just go from terrible to slightly above average, I kind of think of it like an NFL defense. If you've got the elite offense, you don't need the elite defense. You just can't have the worst defense. You know, the year the chiefs won the super bowl, I believe their defense had made some sort of leap from terrible to just about average. And if the angels can do that from a pitching standpoint, with the bullpen being a key cog there, if trout can stay healthy and the lineup produces, that could be enough to your point to have them knocking on the door of playoff contention so I will keep my fingers crossed there, and then I'll round out the AL West with the Mariners, A's, and Rangers. But like you said, not a ton of separation between teams two and five in that division. For sure. Let's take a let's take a look at the postseason. Now we've run through our division picks, and a new wrinkle this year: six teams per league getting in the three division winners plus three wild card teams. The way the format's going to work: the top two division winners will get a bye for a best of three wild card rounds, if I have it right, and then the division winner with the worst record will play in the wild card round as will the other two wild card teams. what are your thoughts before we dig in on this new format approaching the 2022 season? you know
0: it's it's very interesting the expanded format I feel like you know old man talking here but baseball was very special in that 30 teams could compete and back in the days where four from each league made it there was something as, as I tell, tell my buddies they still at city field, they hang the New York Mets wild card winners banners up because it really used to mean something like 1999 wild card winners. Especially that's if like, you're the Mets. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. So the wild card used to mean a lot. I understand why they're doing this. You keep more teams competitive for longer, you bring in more revenue. They're still kind of, you know, nobody's begging for pennies on the street, but they're still reeling a bit from the COVID and losing the money from that. So I understand the revenue generating with the TV deals and all that um a part of me i'm sure i'll be happy the mets you know even if they have a down year will be in contention longer so as a fan you feel a little iffy about it but i I did love the days where oh my goodness 162 games you could have an amazing season but if you're not one of the top four in your league you you don't make the playoffs that really did create a true champion we'll still get a true champion this year but it's not quite the same in my mind
1: It's interesting to me that you frame it that way, because I I think it reminds me a bit of the um, common talking point in college football about possibly expanding the playoffs and a big refrain to that being the value of protecting the regular season. And to me, whether it's this baseball playoff format or an expanded college playoff football field, I don't know what it is about the way I'm seeing things differently, but I kind of struggle to see how this doesn't. Uh, improve the regular season in some way or at least how it would actively hurt it because if anything I feel like this might increase the intrigue and urgency for more teams I mean in college football I remember when I was a student at USC and they you know somehow lose as 42,000 point favorites to Stanford in 2007 and they've got a lot of the season in front of them but you know their title hopes are pretty much dashed and at the end of the year they're that team nobody wants to play if I think of baseball last year again that al east four solid teams last year the blue jays finished in fourth place with 91 wins no other al non-division winner won more than 90 games and this new system the blue jays get in whereas they didn't get that chance last year i think a lot of us would have loved to see you know bichette Flat jr you know a lot of the blue jays youngsters getting a chance to really show what they could do on that kind of stage so i feel like that might enhance things down the stretch with more teams in the mix i do wonder though to your point if this diminishes the value of a team winning their division. I mean now we're going to have division winners playing in that wild card round and a silver lining to me would be that perhaps teams get less penalized for being in a good division. Again last year the Blue Jays to no fault of their own they won 91 games against a lot of really good teams and they just didn't have the your record to show for it whereas any other division they could have been firmly in the playoff mix. I feel like what was it last year Oh the NLCS the Braves playing the Dodgers the Braves had home field advantage because they were the champs and the Dodgers were a wild card team right like, totally disregarding the fact that the Dodgers won 18 more games during the regular season now this new format doesn't fix the home field advantage dynamic in the league championship series but I do think the wild card structure can help to narrow the gap between relatively bad division winners and good to great wild card teams
0: that's that's very fair. It's very true. Yes, uh, in that in that context, you're absolutely right about that. And I do enjoy how you know baseball buys are so bizarre. You know, but I think you know once I, I see them, I will say, okay, you know what? Sure, some lower end teams made it, which what you just said is a good thing. But there's still some sanctity to wanting to get to the top two, Like in football, you know, you want that bye week. You know, you want the, not the bye week, we buy series, you call it. And there is some even in the wild card race, even those more wild card teams. I understand I could be wrong on this I believe for that wild card round the three game series all three games are played mm-hmm. at the home team which I think is very fair yeah. you, you add some reasons so the third division winner loses out on the bye but still gets the home field and there are some wild card teams they're gonna be playing until the end they want the home field of course and uh it should be really really interesting um it may be a little diminished for me in terms of you know creme de la creme no longer being in it but just sign of the times more teams are competitive and I like the way the buys will kind of offset that a little bit.
1: Yeah, it'll be really interesting. I feel like uh, I'm thinking of two cross-sport comparisons here. I'll start with the NBA. You know, if a team gets a long layoff between series, there's always the rest versus rust argument. Could it be that a team that has the worst record of division winners in its league plays in the wild card round, wins a couple of games and they advance and they're playing a team off of a buy of several days, especially with the rhythm in baseball. I, I bet we're going to hear some arguments come October about the team that didn't get the buy, somehow being in the better spot. How valid that is, I think anybody can argue any which way, but that's going to be an interesting talking point to keep an eye on, similar to what we hear with basketball sometimes. And I also think about when you talk about wanting the cream of the crop in the postseason, I totally hear you there. I just think when we see, you know, the best teams in that, that atmosphere, a lot of times during the regular season going to a baseball game, it's a fun place just to hang out. The game is almost secondary a lot of the time. You're socializing, trying to walk around the ballpark, get some good beer and food, just enjoy the setting. In the postseason, with two juggernauts going at it, few things can match that environment. Um, but if we're too precious about who can get in, I think about teams again. Your neck of the woods, not your favorite team to root for, but the Giants. If I'm not mistaken, both of their recent Super Bowl title wins over the Patriots came after nine and seven season, in which they were a wild card team and barely snuck into the playoffs. So t- sometimes, if these teams go on a magical run, then you know they at least get an opportunity to do something really special. And they still have to win their way to the top. So we want to give the best teams a leg up, whether it's home field advantage or a buy where that makes sense. But at the same time, if somebody's going to go on a run and prove it, then that can be something really, really cool.
0: That's totally fair, especially with football, because in football, you know, you could be the nine and seven team, you have one good game, you eliminate the top guy. In baseball, if you're a top seed, you really can't really be complaining about. Well, they didn't belong; they shouldn't have been here. Listen, win your series. You could have a bad day, lose that game in the series, but you could still have time to recover, prove you're the better team, and the you know the cream rises to the crop that way. So, with that point, yeah, in football, it's probably even more so. Where okay, a team, you know, whether it was the Seahawks being the Saints that year with with the Lynch run or the Giants mm-hmm. going to the Super Bowl, they could have one good game over and over and it it works with baseball, you know, okay. Have your off day, have your rotten day, let the lower team win, but Hey, win the series, you're the better team, win the series. No excuses.
1: Well said. I think we've covered some good ground as far as the playoff format goes. If we don't see exactly eye to eye on everything, I think some good perspectives that people can hopefully take away from hearing the back and forth there. Now let's dig into our playoff picks starting in the national league. Who do you have getting buys and run us through the wild card through LCS rounds?
0: Okay, yeah, this was so different doing this. You know, back back in our old Facebook message days, it was just okay. Four seed, one seed, two seed, three seed. Da, 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 da. Okay, so I think I got this though. <laughs> I think I got this. Our buys: the one-seeded LA Dodgers in the NL, two-seeded Mets, both on buys. In our wild card round, we have the number six Phillies defeating the number three Brewers, our third divisional champ. Six Phillies over three Brewers, and we have. The five Padres defeating the number four Braves, so Phillies over Brewers and Padres over Braves, both road teams, quote unquote, find a way to win those series, which sets up an NLDS. They do not reseed these playoffs. I read so the one's going to play the four-five no matter what. Even in my scenario where the six wins, they will not play the one automatically. So the one-seeded Dodgers will play the five-seeded Padres and defeat the five-seeded Padres. Dodgers over Padres, and the Mets hold their seat as well and defeat the Phillies, which should be an insane playoff series here on the East Coast. So I had the Mets and Dodgers going to the NLCS, and I had the number two seeded Mets finding a way with DeGrom, with Scherzer, to advance to the World Series. I had them at plus 500 to win the NL, number three on the board. Maybe you got something different over there, but I had plus 500 the Mets advance to the World Series and find a way to finally make me happy.
1: I hope you're right here. Again, your picks are always the ones that I'd rather root for than my own. We do have some overlap here, uh, but definitely some divergence as we get a bit later on. I also gave buys to the Dodgers and the NL East champion. In my case, that NL East champion was Atlanta. So in the wild card round, I've got the Brewers over the Cardinals and then the Mets over the Padres. If we look at the divisional round, Dodgers back in action. I have them facing the Mets there as opposed to your Mets Dodgers matchup in the NLCS in the divisional round. I have the Dodgers sending the Mets packing. I hope you're right if they get together and we can see the Mets advance, but objectively got to give the nod to the Dodgers. And then the other divisional round series, I've got the Braves knocking out Milwaukee. So for the third straight year, I think we see an NLCS pitting the Dodgers against the Braves. And if this is the rubber match, I give the nod to the Dodgers once again on the heels of them having home field this time around. So I've got the Dodgers claiming the NL pennant big surprise. I'm sure people are going to be stunned if, and when that comes to fruition,
0: (laughs) you know, at least we have divergent ways on it, but if the Mets play a Dodgers in the playoffs, man, what a series that will be. They, they had a great one in 2015. The divisional is only a five game series. I think the whole world wanted a seven gamer because it was just so gritty. And these are two, you know, just look at the books. It's two, two of the really, the highest juggernauts
1: in the league will be wonderful to see. And uh, yeah, hopefully it comes, comes true. All right. So you've got the Mets coming out of the NL. I've got the Dodgers moving on to the American league. How do you see that breaking down?
0: In the American league, you know, I really couldn't find a head and shoulders one seat. So I gave it to the Red Sox, you know, I, maybe it's an East coast bias. I, I have the Sox one, uh, I have the Astros two, So they're getting the buys and the wild card round. I have my third division champ, the White Sox defeating my, Cinderella, Texas Rangers, to say the least, uh, sending them home rather quickly. And I have, and would she be wonderful if it happens, number four Blue Jays defeating number five Yankees in AL East Showdown, which sets up an LDS. I have the number one Red Sox over, once again, AL East over the Blue Jays. The Red Sox send the Blue Jays packing. And I have the White Sox defeating the Astros in a bit of an upset, setting up an ALCS Sox versus Sox. And I have the Chicago White Sox beating the Boston Red Sox. Uh, I see plus five hundred as well for Chicago to so win the uh, AL, and I'm feeling pretty good about it.
1: All right, so I'm I'm skipping ahead here a bit. We'll we'll revisit this shortly, but I'm getting some Lucas Giolito, Cy Young vibes from you. We'll see if that comes to fruition. It's still a long shot, but with the White Sox, uh, that would that would be nice. And with the Red Sox advancing, looking off them, uh, spoken like a true Boston University alum, I bet if our Colleagues from floor 11C from Warren Towers back in 200506 here this conversation. They will be proud of your support of the Red Sox throughout this conversation. Unfortunately, I have no such support of Boston here as I don't have them in the playoffs. Um, but that said, I do have the Astros getting a bye as well. And I too have my AL East champion getting the other bye. In my case, that would be Tampa Bay. Wild card round, I've got the White Sox advancing just like you did over an AL West team. In this case, they would send my Angels packing should the Angels even make it that far. I'm sure it would be crushing to see the run end at that stage. But, you know, I'll take even one short playoff series this year if that's as far as they can get. And the other wild card series, Yankees over the Blue Jays. That brings us to the divisional round. Astros back in action taking on the Yankees. And I would advance Houston in that matchup. And then Tampa Bay in the other series taking on Chicago. And I will take the Rays over the White Sox. So ALCS, the Rays versus the Astros. To me, it's the Angel versus the Devil. If my literal team, the Angels, is out of it, then uh, the Rays can become that angelic franchise. And I will gladly advance them past Houston. So I'll take Tampa Bay to claim the AL pennant. So we've got our World Series matchup set. You have the Mets and the White Sox. I've got the Dodgers taking on Tampa Bay. Who do you have winning and how many games do you have the world series going in 2022?
0: You know what? I I didn't come this far just to come this far. The Mets over the white Sox in six games. I'm seeing plus a thousand number three on the board. As you said, it's not a long shot, which scares the Jesus out of me. Um, But you know, I think this is the team. I I think that they have the lineup. It didn't go well for Lindor last year. He's going to have a bounce back. I believe the rotation will be there. And I think if there's any fortifying that needs the deadline that Cohen will get some more pieces and really go all in on this, whatever it takes, I will take the Mets over the White Sox in six thrilling
1: games. And if you're going with the Mets, I will go with the only shorter shot, really sticking my neck out here, taking the Dodgers. I'd love to see the Rays take it all the way, but sometimes no matter how intelligently your organization is run, if you come up against what I consider to be another smart organization, maybe not quite as scrappy, but with virtually unlimited resources, that's just a lot to overcome. So I've got the Dodgers over the Rays in six games. Um, hopefully between the two of us, we can do better with our world series picks. And uh, if it's the Mets or, or my loser, the Rays taking it home, no complaints on my end, if that means I'm wrong about the Dodgers.
0: Absolutely. Yes. If, if the Dodgers win it all, it would be, it would be tough for You know, they've done something wonderful out there. All, all, all respect, all credit to them, um, maybe that affected my picks as well that I think we we're ready for some new blood, but there's a reason, you know, the books have them as a favorite. There's a reason you're picking them as a favorite. They have an unbelievable squad and this is their time, but uh, I just, I just think the, uh, Mets have something this year. So we'll, we'll see for sure.
1: Yeah. Fingers crossed. Once again, another year where uh, I, if we had to bet between the two of our picks, obviously I put mine together, so I would choose mine, but I will keep my fingers crossed and my heart will be rooting much more for your picks. So we will see how that unfolds and beyond the teams. uh, Let's see if uh, my rooting interest would also prefer to align with yours when it comes to the individual awards. I'll just throw out a small disclaimer here. The bets we're going to talk about here or the picks we're going to talk about, uh, I think would be the better term probably weren't small bets. If any, for us at this stage, similar for the regular season wins market, we'll get to that beer bet shortly and a reminder to shop for the best line. These markets can have a lot of discrepancies from one book to another so, if you can find eight to one on somebody who's listed seven to one elsewhere, you know, find a half a game or a full game in the regular season wins market, that can make all the difference, as we saw last year with your Kansas City Royals. But moving again beyond the teams here, looking at some of the individuals, who do you have taking home the NL MVP award this season?
0: You know, I want to Sharpie and Soto and be done with it. You know, he's an unbelievable player. He he is a nightmare to face. I can't believe the Mets have to face him for the next 10-plus years uh, in Washington. Uh, but you know what? If I'm with my boys going this far, here's to the bounce back. 25-1, to 1, Francisco Lindor taking the MVP for the NL. You know, it would be a story everyone would love to hear. He had a nightmare season last year. The fans turned on him. For him to turn it around and to the Mets write this romantic love story over this baseball season – I don't see any other Met, you know, Alonso had his year of years a few years ago and just, you know, wasn't really in the MVP talk. So if Lindor is going to be the team leader, had the bounce back of all bounce backs and uh, lead the Mets to, to a division title, let's take Lindor 25 to 1. Let's do it.
1: I like it. I also saw Soto as the short shot and I didn't take it. I thought like I was taking a bit more of a chance, but nothing like Lindor. In fact, his odds have come down a bit. He was one of the odds on favorites all along, but I've seen his price come from 8-1 to down to a consensus of 7-1. to That would be the aforementioned Ronald Acuna Jr. from our NL East picks. I mentioned him there. And with the Braves getting him back in the fold, I just really like what that team has done. And I think um, while this is an individual award and the voters have gotten smarter over the years, sometimes there is that halo effect of being on the right team and seeing Freddie Freeman go out to the Dodgers could hurt not only Freeman's chances going to such a good team, but another front runner for the MVP award could be a guy like Mookie Betts. And this might open up more of the spotlight for Acuna to shine and do his thing in Atlanta. So yes, uh, maybe there's some team bias in here coming off a world series win. And I'm thinking the Braves might even earn a first round bye in the playoffs this year. Feels weird to say first round bye talking baseball playoffs, (laughs) but I guess that's pretty much what it is. So uh, I'll give the nod to Acuna and then moving on to the AL tell us who you've got taking home the hardware there.
0: Yeah, with the AL, it's it's tough. Let me say with, with Acuna for that pick. You know, we've seen the talent, and if you would have said going into the season last year, you can get Acuna for seven to one at any point over the next fifteen years, you're probably booking that. So, so for sure uh, on that value. Um, the AL, I have no idea what to do. I don't know what Otani. This this has thrown a warp into everything. I feel like if the pitching comes down a little, but the hitting's there, is he still a lock? If the vice versa, is it still a lock? So I'm just gonna put him to the side. Take another pretty pretty solid long shot here. Um, I think if Houston does what I think they're going to do, I'm going to take Kyle Tucker at 25-1. to 1. Uh, He's an analytics darling. He's in the middle of a stack lineup. Uh, I think Dusty Baker is kind of reversing the storylines on the Astros and not really the villains anymore. I don't think Tucker was involved too much in all that stuff either. Uh, so I'm going to take the long shot of Tucker, as Houston has a year, I think, to remember in the AL West.
1: Yeah, and I'm seeing Tucker as good as 30-1 to as I do a bit of quick line shopping on the fly here. So definitely quite a long shot. Again, this is where I thought I went out on a limb, but uh, you outdid me with the possible payout if you're right. My selection, Wander Franco, seeing him at 20-1. to And if I'm all in on Tampa Bay, I think he's going to be a big part of what they do in his first full season. Not that he's the same player of Trout by any stretch, but I think we saw Trout when he came up kind of the Angels held him back till late April in 2012. And then his first full season, he took things to an even higher level. I think Franco, after showing a lot of flashes in 2021, could really step it up over the course of a full campaign in 2022. And if the Rays again are going to go as far as I think they can, then Wander Franco probably going to have to be a pretty key cog in that equation.
0: For sure. You know, he was unbelievable. A bit of a slow start last year, but then they said, Oh boy this is what he is. And he was just tearing the cover off the ball. So yeah, if if the Rays do what what you predict they're going to do, you know, in their, you know, I don't want to say lineup of no names, but in their lineup of not household names, if he just comes and rips the cover off the ball, really, really solid pick.
1: Yeah, and I feel like stolen bases are just, you know, almost gone from the history books relative to what we saw not even that long ago. And if he can just do that, a lot of the younger guys when they're coming up and they have the speed, they'll still steal bases. Again, Trout used to steal, you know, 50 a season, or, or at least in that ballpark. And, and we've seen how that ages, but Franco, I think has gotten him, maybe stolen bases can be a nice differentiator for him down the stretch. If he's neck and neck with somebody else. But I think that wraps up some MVP talk. Let's talk about the Cy Young market, starting again with the national league. Who do you have there?
0: You know, if I'm going to take Lindor's MVP, I'm not going to be completely, you know, my orange and blue pom-poms here. I'm not going to, I'm going to avoid the two Mets aces, you know, for all we know, they'll probably take some votes from each other. Uh, look on the list. I didn't love any of the values here. Um, so I saw like an analytics darling as well. Joe, Joe Musgrove, San Diego. I saw him 18 to one. He's got a lot of talent. And, you know, I believe if the Padres have a big year, you know, I think people are expecting this Tatis injury to, to completely sink them. If they find a way to right the ship and have a year where they go to the playoffs comfortably, I think Musgrove's their best starter. And if he um, does the work, I believe he will. He'll be right there. The side Young conversation.
1: Yep, and you said 18 to 1. I'm seeing 22 to 1. So again, if somebody wants to get down on that, you can uh, just shop around for the best of the number. And this is a case where I'll go ahead and jump on the Mets bandwagon for you and and go with DeGrom. I know in the range of 4 to 1, not the most exciting pick, not going to shock people if it happens, but I just think he is so freaking good. And in a league of his own, when he can get on the mound and he's healthy enough. Last year, I had him in our fantasy league, so maybe I'm a little bit biased. But if DeGrom can stay healthy, I feel like this award is his for the taking. He is
0: unbelievable. There was a time last year, honestly, I looked at the books. As you said, his first two months were so incredible. He was minus an exorbitant amount where it was almost like, you know what? Just take the other two or three guys. You know, they the second place guy is still plus 800, plus 900. You know, you never know what could happen. Sure enough, uh, Burns snuck in there. DeGrom got injured. So a little lesson be learned there. I hope it's a lesson that won't repeat itself. I hope we get a full, full year of DeGrom and Scherzer and the whole Mets rotation. But yeah, as you said, if he's on, there's no one better.
1: Well, what lessons have you learned recently that might happen to inform your pick for AL Cy Young award winner for 2022? My lesson
0: for AL Cy Young is um, stop being so crazy. This is where we get a little more stable. Garrett Cole saw it plus 450-ish. He kind of responded well to this whole sticky tack stuff. It, it's not just that. And he's the ace of the Yankees. He's being play, paid like it for sure. And I think this year he kind of stabilized himself and comfortably lived and went to Cy Young.
1: Yep. All right. So we've got consensus on one of these individual picks. I had Cole last year as well. Part of that coming off of the pandemic-shortened 2020 season, thinking of him as one of the better workhorses in the league, knowing innings pitched can factor largely into how the votes break down for Cy Young. I still like him as a workhorse this year, but one point you brought up, I think he stumbled at times early on in the season with, you know, just the baseball being different somehow. It's so crazy how the, the baseball itself is such a talking point and, and such a difference maker in the game. We never hear that with the NFL, I guess, outside of Deflategate years ago, but that wasn't league constructed. Mm. And then the NBA changed the ball once, I feel like a decade or so ago, and it was immediately hated universally. So they went back to the old one you know, baseball is the name of the game and they somehow can't seem to figure out the ball itself. That seemed to drive Cole up a wall at times last season. But to your point, he did seem to iron things out. And I think if he's got that sorted out and Rob Madfred doesn't change things again, as far as the ball is concerned, then I feel like Cole is rightfully the odds on favorite.
0: Yeah. His talent is, you know, unmistakable. You know, the ball, it's funny what you say in other sports, as far as the ball goes, how it's it's never a big deal, with a baseball it's just assume that it's regular <laughs> yeah. and
1: consistent year to year. What a concept! Play,
0: they play with the ball, and it's a ball, and uh, yeah, baseball. You know, I guess they're trying to keep history all aligned and comparing numbers. But uh, I think that's past him, and uh, Cole will win the Cy uh, Young I
1: uh, If you know, if we can nail that one, we'll have some nice bragging rights. Both of us having called it when we have this conversation this time next year. But before we get ready to wrap things up on the 2022 MLB preview. We can get in play on another beer bet, regular season win totals. We're going to pick our three favorites. And from there, we will see whoever has the better record can go ahead and claim a four pack of beer that the loser will either buy for them to enjoy in person or perhaps some shipping across the country. You know, we can make that work if needed. But as we look at the regular season win market for 2022, uh, give me your first pick that you'd like to make.
0: I'm going to develop a theme here. And I I believe my theme is that you shop for the best numbers. The books are smarter than I am. So my theme is if the number seems crazy, let's be crazy with it. My first one, the Baltimore Orioles, after 52 wins last year, being at 62 and a half, I am taking that over. And I hope you get a similar number to me about 10-game improvement. I'd have to be crazy. They've added really nobody. they got some young talent, but Vegas is begging me to say, how can the Orioles possibly win 10 more games? I'm saying they do it. Orioles, 62 and a half, over.
1: Gotcha. All right. I have a pick that I will lead off with uh, in a similar vein of a team that's probably going to finish in last place, but I'm actually going to go the other way. I like the way you lay that out. That has me thinking again about this one, but I'm going to take the Arizona Diamondbacks under 66 and a half. Part of that has to do, of course, with being in a really competitive, top-heavy division with the Dodgers. Padres expected to be really good. The Giants could regress by 20 games and still be a good team. And I think that um, with a lot of middling teams and this new playoff structure being more inclined to go for it down the stretch, a team like Arizona, if they're one of the first ones out of it, those wins could be really few and far between come September when other teams are trying to make a surge out of desperation and the D-backs just no better. So I think the bottom could fall out for this team. So my first pick will be Arizona under 66 and a half.
0: I think that's the Tepe Bay race theme music coming. Cause my second is D-backs over 66 and a half. I'm thinking again, you know what? 52 wins last year. Vegas says 66 and a half. That is 14 more wins for a team. Sure. They have to Marte who was hurt last year. They have Zach Allen who was hurt last year, but 14 more wins. I'm saying Let's do it. I'm going to be rooting for some seller dwellers. Let's go Orioles. Let's go D-backs over 66 and a half.
1: <laughs> I love this. We don't talk about this ahead of time. In two years in a row, we're going oppo on one team with 30 to choose from. So uh, this is going to be a really fun case. Again, we know what the tiebreaker is going to be. If we both go two and one once again this year, if we finish with the same record, whatever that is, let's call the Arizona Diamondbacks our team that breaks the tie for the 2022 season. I'll weave in my second pick, staying in the division, the NL West. Um, this is more in line with your theme, I believe. And that would be taking the Giants to go over 85 and a half wins. And the reason I'm doing that, yes, we're going to see regression from a 107 win season in 2021. But again, this is the case. They could win more than 20 fewer games and still cash this bet. So, yes, regression's coming. I just don't feel confident that it's coming that hard for them. And I think Carlos Rodon was an under the radar addition for them and a great park for a pitcher like him to be in. So I think that the Giants fortifying their rotation, you know, there are some things that will work against them just with, you know, the loss of regression, the way that works over a 162 game season. But some additions they've made, such as Rodon, I think could really mitigate the extent of some of that regression and again if i think the expanded playoffs could hurt a team like arizona i think it could help a team like the giants where yes if they're a middling team down the stretch they might be more inclined to go for it because you know again they could win 20 fewer games than last season and still back into the playoffs whereas that was much less likely with a playoff structure as recently as what we saw last year
0: i want to reiterate to the prop stops audience we do not talk about these beforehand and we do not butt heads a lot Giants under is my third pick. Oh my goodness. I just say oh how, how could I be expected more than 20 more than 20 wins less? They're saying, Connor, you have to pound this over. And I'm saying, I'm not gonna do what you tell me, Vegas. I'm not gonna do it. Somehow, you know, maybe the Padres getting a little better. I have the Giants in third place. 85 wins right right along the lines for a third place team. I see the Giants with obviously. A catastrophic fall is obviously not that catastrophic, but I am taking them under 85 and a half. I am not doing what they tell me to do. I am going, I am zagging completely as the theme continues on my over-unders.
1: Oh boy. Now I'm having some second thoughts about this because you have clearly thought this through more than I have. Uh, I mean, what do you want to make of this? We have all three of your picks. I'll have my third one coming. It's not going to be another overlap. Um, but now we've got two teams in the same division that we're butting heads on. Um, I know we declared the Diamondbacks the tiebreaker team. But, I mean, do you feel more strongly on one or the other? I will give you the call. If you like one of your bets uh, between Arizona over or San Francisco under, if you prefer either of those, we can go ahead and designate that as the tiebreaker here.
0: Well, you know what? Why don't we – you want to take in a fourth – you want to put Boston in there? Because it seems like we're really diverging on on Boston. You want to – do
1: I take the over, you take the under in case that's needed? Um, yeah, what do we got? I mean, yeah, I'm seeing them 85.5. Yeah, what gives me a bit of pause there is last year. I mean, Toronto was fourth in that division with ninety-one wins, so oh, the yes, Red Sox could still very well go over by a comfortable margin. Um, oh, that, so if I, that's I the case. I don't necessarily hate their number, but I like your I like your look at that. That's our biggest discrepancy among the division breakdowns.
0: Yeah, I feel much better about D backs going over than Giants going under. That, that okay. that'll be
1: my yes. Okay, cool. We will stick with Arizona <laughs> as the tiebreaker team. <laughs> Butting heads twice in the same division when we've got the whole league to choose from. Um, all right. Well, I will then uh, say another pick from a division that involved one of your teams, uh, but a different team this time. Thank goodness, Tampa Bay. If I'm all in on the Rays, then I'm taking them over 89 and a half. Um, you know, three full games. Not an insignificant jump from last year's total of 86 and a half. But I think their regular season one total has gone up for good reason. Again, this is just a case. Very competitive division. But if I have the conviction that I do, and them coming through once again and proving a lot of people wrong then I think they're going to have to eclipse 90 wins. So that lands me on Tampa Bay over 89 and a half. I guess this has now become a Tampa Bay Rays podcast.
0: I'll I'll, just, I'll buy the beers now to send to you. It's just, I never learn. I'll, I'll, I'll get the beers now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll see. If it, if it's a nice barrel aged out, go ahead and get it now. If we're going to think IPA is like the broken school you've got in your hand, then uh, maybe I'll try to have you buy it the day before we can crack them open together in person for optimal freshness. But before we wrap up the baseball talk all together, one more fun wrinkle we discussed, I think last year was our first time doing this, but a bold prediction. And to look back at last year, you picked Michael Conforto to so out-homer Pete Alonzo. Uh, did some research here. Alonzo, 37 homers, Conforto, 14. Uh, go figure, uh, one of these guys is now the two-time reigning homer derby champ. The other, unless something has changed in the last hour, still looking for his 2022 team to call home. Um, But I don't mean to put you to shame in any way that indicates that I did any better because I said that the Cubs would win more games than their crosstown rivals the White Sox and that one was put to bed early White Sox winning 93 games the Cubs only managing 71 so Connor we can only do better when it comes to our bold predictions for 2022 what's yours.
0: Well, first, I want to thank you for having me back on the show ever, ever again after that bold prediction from last year. Um hopefully, <laughs> bold for a reason. <laughs> hopefully the world's forgotten about it. Uh, you know what? I looked. I was trying to get a you know, unique take. I saw the Dodgers are hosting the All-Star game this year. And I say, you know what? I'm thinking Cody Bellinger is a big bounce back year. So I'm saying Cody Bellinger wins the home run derby and I'll have a small ticket on Bellinger. I saw him 90 to win to be the home run champ, Ooh. a small ticket on Cody Ballinger but a big bounce back year and being the conversation for the home run champion.
1: I like that because we are not going to know the field for a while, but you've got to think the home team, if there's anybody remotely worthy, he's going to get the nod if a couple other guys are on the bubble. So that's, I, I like that look a lot. And I'm going to stick in Southern California for my bold prediction, stay closer to home when it comes to my allegiance. And I will say that the Angels full-time center fielder by the end of the year will not be Mike Trout. I think it's going to be Brandon Marsh. Um, Maybe a less bold call than last year, but I have more confidence in it. I mean, just right off the bat, before I explain anything, uh, would it really surprise you if Trout was no longer mounting center field for the Angels in six months?
0: Yes, it would surprise me. Um, It's just, you know, center field is a premier marquee position in baseball. You know, it's not maybe quite the fanfare it used to be, but I think, I think my try, I think center field angels for sure.
1: All right, cool. So some endorsement there, but I know it's probably a little more tepid than something as bold as what you said with, you know, 90 to one for Bellinger to win the Derby. But as I think this through, I feel like the time's coming where the angels have to try to preserve Trout. This is going to be his age 30 season. In fact, I I just want to pause for a second and ask you, what would you guess is the last season in which Trout played more than 140 games?
0: Oh boy. 140 games we're in 2022 gotta be back to uh, i would think 2018
1: close all right so it goes back even farther 2016 which is his age 24 season now he's coming up in his age 30 season and just one more thing for context four stolen base attempts the last two seasons i mean he stole four stolen he stole four bases in 2011 before his first full season in 2012. So I just think as a way to try to keep him on the field, it's a shame because he is so freaking good. And he started last year on a tear. And then a six-week calf injury becomes the end of his season, jogging out a pop-up, you know, just running the bases at the end of an inning. Uh, And beyond preserving Trout, I think Marsh is asserting himself as the better player defensively. There was some talk to start spring training about the Angels' putting marsh in center already so maybe that's why this isn't the most bold prediction but that talk got squashed right away trout came in and it seems pretty firm of a preference on his end to stay in center field i just think where there's smoke there is fire and with what the angels are looking at in center field and their desperate need to keep trout on the field and marsh you know waiting in the wings that they can bump trout to a corner i know trout is historically great but i just think that by the end of the season the organization and the player himself might be best served by getting out of center field
0: Gotcha. So you're thinking more corner outfield, not like DH, no DH only. Not yet. No, I
1: think a a corner outfield role would suit him well. And uh, I don't know, maybe I should queue up some center field by John Fogarty soon to really (laughs) think this over. But yeah, I I just think much like when Trout came up, Torrey Hunter was uh, the center fielder and the Angels were able to bump Hunter over. I, I think it might be coming up a little bit sooner than people might have guessed on Trout's time to seed center field to Brandon Marsh.
0: Yeah, you know, you still think trout, you still think up and coming superstar, best in the sport, future of the sport. Just here, age 30, you know, crazy, crazy, crazy.
1: Indeed. Well, Connor, we're about to wrap this up. I know you've got an Islanders game to get to, uh, but let's talk beyond our picks and bold predictions about a, a few new wrinkles to the game itself this season, beyond just the baseball. We've covered that, but changes per the new CBA with the lockout now being over, the Universal DH in effect. Uh, back to some scheduled nine inning doubleheaders to make up time for the late start to the season. Unlike the seven inning doubleheaders that we had seen earlier in the pandemic, extra innings back to normal, no more ghost runner on second base. What are your thoughts on these changes or anything else when it comes to changes on the field as a result of the new CBA?
0: You know, I might have been in the minor- minority on this. I didn't love either of them, but I found the seven inning doubleheaders to be worse than the extra inning rule. You know, but I'm happy to see both go. But the seven inning double hairs, you could tell like the announcers at times, you know, the, the Mets had a quote unquote walk off seventh inning win. The announcer had no idea until like he was at second base. The game was over. It was just one <laughs> of those things. where, And I understood. It's so strange. Yeah. It's just like how do you use pitchers? How do you evaluate these games? So thrilled to see both those go. You know, honestly, I'm one of those. I'd be fine. I don't want to use the T word like a 12 inning tie wouldn't offend me horribly. If they want to play three extra innings and say it's a tie game, that's not terrible at all. Um, the DH, you know, there was always a charm seeing the pitcher try to get a big hit. You know, it was nice. It was nice drama. But I do Bartolo like the –
1: one yeah. time connecting at Petco Park.
0: Unforgettable. Unforgettable. At least we had that. But I do see some validity to, okay, now there's no more talk of uh, – yeah, sure, DeGrom is not – Eric Cole because DeGrom faces one ninth of his players are automatic outs so I do like the fluidity of all pitchers are held to the same standard of going through a nine hitter lineup um it will be a strange you know change but I think it's best moving forward for the injury reasons we all see pitchers run the bases something crazy happens so all, all, all in all thrilled to see the extra innings and the double header rule go DH I will warm to with time but uh we'll
1: see I understand it as an NL fan, it's going to be a bit of an adjustment. And as an AL fan, I am so enthused about the universal DH. To your point, the consistency of, you know, pitchers across leagues. Uh, also, you know, just pitchers staying healthy. I think uh, who was, I think it was one of the Cubs pitchers a few years ago. is was like sliding back to first base on a pickoff attempt and jammed his shoulder or something to that effect. And beyond that, I think as a fan of a National League team, you know, come the World Series or some of the interleague matchups we're going to see, now being able to put a full-time DH on that roster. I mean, the AL used to be like, you're playing the Red Sox and it's David Ortiz, who's like a a Hall of Fame handsomely paid DH and your DH is your fourth outfielder or your backup catcher. Like now this is, I think, going to level the playing field in a lot of ways. So I I think that consistency was the right way to go to have the NL go ahead and adopt the DH. One thing that you mentioned when walking through these changes, the T word, um, you know, and any possibility of ties, not on the table for regular season games. But when you said that I perked up a bit because I think my favorite change in the new CBA, something pretty stealth that has flown under the radar, but moving forward, if the all-star game is tied after nine innings, it gets decided by a home run derby. So if your pick is Bellinger to win the home run derby, uh, I will say, let's see that. And then let's see him the next night square off in a home run derby to cap off the all-star game itself.
0: Fantastic. Love that. Love that. I actually didn't know what that one. That's really exciting. Um, yeah, you know, it's just a fun way to settle, which should be a very fun game that shouldn't have anyone upset at the end over. Yeah. Let's have fun out there.
1: Yeah. Well, speaking of having fun, I want to also touch on your evolution as a better since the last time we had you on the show last year, you told a great story of your weekend routine, parking in the Bronx, walking across the George Washington bridge and having a bit of a lottery ticket mentality, because when you're making that much effort to get some bets in, you want to have that kind of upside in play. Now fast forward a year, you're able to bet legally from the comfort of your own home. How would you say that your betting style looks like today compared to the same time last year? So
0: much has changed. So much has changed with being legal in New York. With great power comes great responsibility. Or perhaps with great <laughs> power, with great power comes great discipline perhaps. You know, it's all there at your fingertips. You're on the couch, the game is live, you might have a, have an angle. It's fun it's exhilarating. It's, it's amazing to be able to do it. Um, it's also great where I used to walk to Jersey, come back and just watch my bets and you know, what happened, happened to be able to like live cash outs, to be able to hedge it live. It's a whole new angle to it. Um, but it requires a tremendous amount of discipline as far as, you know, knowing if there's no, now there's a the thing where if I'm sitting on the couch on a slow night, I say, okay, let's watch this game. I wouldn't have watched just knowing the limits, you know, knowing, having control over, you know, if it's something, if it's game you weren't going to watch anyway, don't have a, bit, a, a big bankroll on it. Just, you know, put, put a buck or two down uh, with that. But the habits have changed greatly in terms of me not traveling a far distance to put in a whale bet anymore. Now it's just like, okay, what's on tonight? What kind of small gains can we make? Let's have some fun with it. The odds boosts are all, it seems like all the books are competing with each other, get the best odds boost. I rarely bet on a game that's not an odds boost at this point or some kind of promotion. So just having fun with it, taking advantage of, you know, the small gains that the, uh, the books offer.
1: I think one of the best things you said there that people can take, you know, as an action item would be to use discipline. And just because the game's on doesn't mean you need a big bet. There's nothing wrong. If you got a few bucks, you can afford to lose and throw something down for some rooting interest. But ideally, I think shouldn't be the best thing of your day if you win a bet like that for a game you otherwise wouldn't have watched. Shouldn't be the worst thing of your day if you lose a bet in a situation like that. So trying to stay even-keeled in the long run here. And you mentioned now being at home, it's a different dynamic because there are things like you know live cash outs or you know, doing things in game. How would you say your approach to that has changed as that's become more of a viable option for you?
0: Very very conservative still on this. I I am always one to take take the cash out if if I have a parlay going and one leg seems a little iffy, I'll just hammer the other side of one leg and say okay we're even. So we're very very conservative uh, on these things. But it's it's great to have them at your fingertips where you say, oh boy, this I I don't we're looking good right now, but I don't like where this is going. And uh, they're usually pretty fair cash outs that are offered. And I for one am very, very conservative in terms of and I, I think I've heard on your podcast before you say, you know, if it's not a life-changing number, just let the bet let the bet ride out. You know, the hedging, you know, this it takes a lot of fun away. But at least for now, you know, if, if if it's not a slam dunk and certain legs are going well, the one leg that's iffy, I'll usually just hammer the other side and just try to uh try to
1: break even on it. My first initial reaction there is to push back quite a bit, but the way you framed it, I, I think there is a way to really appreciate what you said as well. And the initial reaction is rooted in a thought that oftentimes if a book is offering something to you, they're probably doing it with their own self-interest in mind. So cash outs almost never reflect the true odds of something happening. I think of like buying points, you know, if the NFL buying from three to three and a half on an underdog is probably worth 18 to 20 cents, they're often charging you 25 to 30 cents. So you can do it. It improves your odds of winning the bet. But when you increase the vig like that, it can affect your ROI in the long term. So that's where, the mercenary in me wants to step in. But I also think to your point, you know, something I thought about recently, there's a great podcast called circles off that had a better on last week who goes by telemachus model. And I guess there was a topic they didn't get to during the conversation. So he posted a Twitter thread about like betting and, you know, just balancing that with the rest of his life and something that he said, got me thinking, you know, so many betters are obsessed with how do I maximize my ROI and just want as much money as I can doing this at a certain point. I think we have to question: Are we really maximizing our ROI if it's coming at the expense of peace of mind? Right. And if that cash out, you know, if going against one leg in a parlay gives you peace of mind, um, you know, it. I, I think that it pretty objectively, in my understanding, means that you're leaving some value on the table. But if it's worth it to you because you can lock in something that gives you more security or just more peace of mind that is a valid part of the conversation. So I like that you come at it that way because I have a much different approach, but I don't think that, you know, there's one right answer and one wrong answer.
0: Yeah. You know, and I like to keep it in a way where there's a small window to kind of middle it and get both to hit, Mm -hmm. you know, last night at the Nets game, I had part of the parlay was the um, jazz scoring more than 105 and a half. And it wasn't looking great in the fourth quarter. And I saw jazz minus one Oh nine. So I take that, I hammer that. And just, you know, worst case scenario, we break even and the small tiny window, you know, maybe the hedge messes it up, you, you lose out on your profit, but for the double win, you know, it's just something where if you're watching the game where it was just for fun anyway, you know, for a small unit, small bankroll, it's a nice way to kind of like really feel good about it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Ultimately, this should be fun. And it seems like you're doing that in a really responsible way. So it's cool to see how far that approach has come over the last year. And Connor, one more question for you, bringing this conversation full circle, weaving back in the hops, as well as the Malinsky Minute. Mm -hmm. David Malinsky was passionate not only about betting, but really about craft beer and supporting local independent businesses. And when we had this conversation last year, I remember you noting that your beer preferences generally more based on location over style. So to that end, based on where you are right now in New York, what are some of your favorite local beers these days?
0: Local beers these days, really getting ready for summer. Really been hammering the uh, the Coney Island Brewery, the Mermaid Pilsner. Such a good baseball ballpark beer. They have it, when I go to a few minor league Brooklyn Cyclones games, they're a Mets affiliate. It's, it's wonderful to have them. So the, uh, the Coney Island Brewery has some fantastic craft beers, as well as uh, way out east Long Island, the Montauk Brewery. You know, Montauk, summer in the eastern Long Islands. It's a really, really great brewery. We're always popping out some really, really great beers.
1: All right. Well, I hope to be able to enjoy some of that with you at some point this summer, if I can make my way out there. In the meantime, I know we've talked a lot of baseball. You've got a hockey game to get to. So I'll I'll go ahead and plug a couple of things. Not so much, uh, you know, any content or social media necessarily for people to follow if there's nothing that you want to plug there. But if people want to perhaps run into you and catch some of that just contagious joy that you bring to every interaction, I would say that they can probably catch you at Citi Field rooting on the Mets or UBS Arena rooting on the Islanders this spring into the summer. And of course, at MetLife Stadium rooting on the Jets come this fall. So, Connor, I want to thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. Cannot wait until the next time we're in person, maybe having some Coney Island or Montauk beer. But for now, thanks once again for the time and keeping the tradition alive and well. Cheers, Matt.
0: Matt. This was so fun. All continued success to you. I don't belong with your array of guests this year, but I'm so happy to be here and uh, all love to you, man.
1: You were here well before them. Happy to keep this train rolling. Cheers, man. Cheers. Goodbye. Thanks again to Connor and thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed our conversation, the number one way you can support Props and Hops is to take a quick moment to leave a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And if you'd be interested in more podcasts to inform your betting approach, and baseball and across the entire sports world, go ahead and check out the Dimers Podcast Network at dimers.com slash podcasts to optimize your gambling content consumption. All right, that'll do it. I'll talk to you again early and often next week with the return of the Bet Bash bonus series ahead of the event kicking off Friday, April 1st in downtown Las Vegas. I'm looking to bring on the best and brightest from both sides of the counter, as well as some prominent figures in the sports media landscape. So until then, thanks again for listening, and as always, let's bet well, let's drink well, and let's be well.